Jets fans, I am Glenn Naughton, and you are listening to Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. We are uh, we're doing this show a day early today. Normally do Tuesday nights, but um, have a special guest. We're expecting to be joined by Jets starting left tackle Kelvin Beecham, who was uh, let's face it, part of an offensive line that uh, absolutely blew everybody's minds yesterday. If you listen to this show, you know I am a big believer in this offensive line in terms of it being better than they get credit for anyway. And uh, even I, – I didn't see that coming. If you say you saw that coming, you're lying. You're a liar. Um, that It was unbelievable performance. We'll talk about that. We're going to have Kelvin on to talk about that. We're also going to touch on some of the – some of his off-field charitable efforts, which if you are – if you took the time and – watched any of the One Jets Drive series this preseason or leading up to the season, you would have seen the episode where they featured Kelvin Beecham and they talked to him extensively about what his charitable efforts mean to him. And I have to be honest, um, I was pretty surprised by the feedback that we saw on the forums at Jet Nation about Kelvin Beecham's segment on One Jets Drive because uh, fans, when it comes to that stuff, at least in my experience, they can be they can be pretty cynical, and they don't want to hear it. They just want to know about football, um, and they get it, they get they get a little upset if if there's something other than football being featured on a show about football. But uh, but man, fans were really supportive. I thought that was really great because Kelvin Beecham's a guy who has been a, a class guy since the day he arrived. Uh, seems to be you know active on social media with the fans, active in you know in his local community. And, you know, we'll, again, we'll talk about that in a little while. At least that, that's, that is the plan. We, um, I was in touch with Kelvin's representative, representatives earlier today, and they did say that we were on and good to go. So we will see, uh, we will see if that is, in fact, the case. If not, you know what? That's all right, because we have some football to talk about. And for the first time in what feels like forever, we have some – high quality football to talk about. Uh, you, you talk about a game nobody saw coming. I mean, I talked last week about how I picked the Broncos, but I thought it was a little bit strange that Vegas had the Jets as the favorite because it made no sense. And sometimes Vegas just gets it right. And, you know, Jets were only one and a half, two point favorite. So it's not as if the, any blowouts are being predicted, but based on the way the the Broncos or the the talent that that Broncos front seven has, you had to figure that that Sam Darnold would be under duress consistently, and it was the exact opposite. Darnold had time to throw. He was sacked only once, and that came on a play really that was uh, an errant snap from from Spencer Long. I mean, it was out of shotgun formation, pulled Darnold away from his spot a little bit, so it kind of busted the play right off the bat. Darnold ends up getting sacked. But that was it. That was the only sack on the day. There were some pressures, you know. But you look at the way he handled it. And and this is what I was talking about. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. But when I talked about how this offensive line, they're not letting Sam Darnold get beat up. That's the most important thing to me. People people are complaining. He's He's, he's rushed. He's hurried. I kind of don't mind that. I I want this guy in his rookie year, as he goes through his growing pains, I want him to I want him to have to work. I I don't want it to be easy. And you know I know no two situations are the same, but I always think back to Mark Sanchez. And let's face it, in relative terms, Mark Sanchez had about it, had it about as easy as any rookie quarterback has ever had it in his life. He had a dominant offensive line. He consistently had all day to throw, never had to worry about getting hit, 
never had to worry about getting sacked, always had the support of a great running game. And, um, and maybe that was a bad thing for him because when that offensive line, when those guys started to retire or move on or got cut, whatever the case may be, he didn't handle pressure so well. He hadn't seen it before. So maybe, maybe this is the reverse effect. Maybe now Sam Darnold, and the point I was going to make is one of those big touchdown passes to Robbie Anderson. As we know, two bombs to Robbie Anderson, one for 70-plus. I think it was a 76-yarder, one for 35 yards. And on at least one of them, it looked, I mean, the pocket was closing in. It looked like, you know, Sam Darnold wasn't – it was clean in terms of him getting hit, but he was going to have to improvise and work within the pocket – and make the throw with the walls closing in. And that's what made it a tough throw to me. And he did it. Both those touchdown passes to Anderson were fantastic. Phenomenal throws. And the type of stuff that you need to see from him moving forward. If this team hopes to be in a position where defenses are going to have to back off a little bit. Maybe not send as many blitzers. Maybe not have seven, you know, six, seven, and eight man boxes. You hit on a couple bombs, guess what? Opposing coaches aren't going to say, let's let's sneak a couple safeties up there. Let, let's just stack that box and make this guy beat us with his arm. Because you can do that, but once the guy starts beating you with his arm, you got to have a plan. So that plan usually means let's back off a little, cover a little bit more of the field, because this guy can make throws when we send pressure. And so we saw some of that. From Sam Darnold. And I know, you know, people are going to point to the negatives, which is fine. You know, we we, we want to, uh, there, there's no point in glossing over anything that, that doesn't go the Jets' way, whether it's the development or any other issue, really. But there's some concern, you know, people that still seem to not be fully on board with the Darnold thing. A lot of talk from them that, you know, oh, well, he went 10 for 20. He wasn't very accurate. Deep ball was accurate. That was it. Listen, I counted I counted three drops. I saw somebody else say four. I think it was three. A couple free Nunwa. Tomlinson had one. And I'd have to watch the game again. But I think there were three. So really, you're 10 for 22. That's a 10 for 19. He's on target 13 out of 22 times. So let's call it that. Let's say it was really on target throws 13 out of 22. And then four balls were batted. Now that's something Sam Darnold can work to, uh, you know, avoid in the future. But they're not off-target throws. Okay, so really you have three drops and four batted balls. So that's 13 balls that were on target and 18 balls that made it past the line of scrimmage. Again, you know, sometimes sometimes it's up to the old lineman to get hands on a guy, pull him down, get 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 hands on him, make sure he can't come up and elevate and bat the ball down. Or just put a hand across and, and block him, you know, from putting an arm up into the throwing lane. There are things that can be done. But from my view, when Dar- when Sam Darnold unloaded the ball, he was on target 13 times. And really only, only 18 times did it make it past the, the line of scrimmage. So 10 for 22, another example of when stats can be misleading. So on the day, he finishes, you know, at the 10 for 22, 198 yards, three touchdowns, a couple of bombs, and a 20-yard 20 20 touchdown pass to Terrell Pryor on what was a fantastic catch. One-handed grab, at, caught it at about the one-yard line, fell into the end zone for the touchdown. But even all that being said, Sam Darnold's big throws, 20-yarder to Pryor, that wasn't even close to the big story in this game. And you you all know what I'm talking about. And this this rushing attack was unbelievable. And when you say it's like nothing I've ever seen before as a Jets fan, it literally is nothing you've ever seen before as a Jets fan. As Isaiah Crowell sets a team record, 15 carries for 219 yards over 14. That is just nuts. Bilal Powell... Blah Powell had 20 carries for 99 yards. Imagine having 20 carries for 99 yards and 
you had a bad day compared to the guy ahead of you? Again, 20 for 99 is a good day. But you put it up against 15 for 219, and it's like, eh, big deal. 20 for 99. That's five yards a clip. It's a damn good day. But Isaiah Crowell, the effort he put forth, I mean, and the 77-yard run, he had a couple of cutbacks, breaking ankles, Broncos players, splaying out on the turf, couldn't keep up with him. Some great downfield blocking from the receivers, Robbie Anderson and Terrell Pryor. You get big runs like that, folks. Those don't happen without, without your receivers getting downfield, getting hands on a corner, getting hands on a safety. Robbie Anderson interrupted two or three guys on the way down the field. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Terrell Pryor who threw a defender to the turf, Adam Jones, I believe, as he tried to close in and, and make a tackle on, on, and he wasn't able to do it. And just an explosive day for the offense, a day where, you know, sometimes, sometimes we, you know, fire off a couple of tweets during the game. Bust. I did a little bit of that myself. I, I couldn't help myself. You know, I, I Said all preseason, said all during training camp, and I've said up and even even up until now when this team hasn't been scoring, that this team has playmakers. Just get the ball in their hands. Put them in position to succeed. Yesterday, Sam Darnold is on target, and all of a sudden, there's Robbie Anderson with 123 yards and two scores on 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 three catches. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I expected Isaiah Crowell to run for 216 or anywhere near that at any point. But I did say he's a good back. He's a good power back. He isn't Jerome Bettis, but he will, he will truck people over. He'll lower, we, saw him, we saw him on, I was the third and short, I believe, escape the grasp of a 320-pound lineman and then lowers his shoulder into a linebacker, plows ahead for a couple yards to pick up a first down. I had people on Twitter tell me this offseason that I was an idiot for saying that he was a power back and that he's a guy who could run people over if he had to. Like I said, nobody's saying the guy's Jerome Bettis. But he's certainly not a finesse back. He's got, he's got the power and speed to, to get extra yards after contact. And we've seen that from him. We saw it from him in Cleveland. This isn't a surprise. But, uh... Not that it matters who it was, but I remember somebody getting fairly upset for implying that uh, Isaiah Crowell was a, a powerful running back, and I got a lot of a lot of flack from that. From from it was only one or two people, but it was an odd thing to me because I watch him run and I think to myself, how do you watch him do some of these things and say he's not a power back? He's not he's not only a power back, but he is if he needs to be. But as you know, as, as is always the case with this team, as good as they were, and we're going to get into some, uh, we're going to get into some of the top performances here. We're getting, the, we're not even going to do studs and duds because too many guys were so damn good that you really, you know, you can you can go through. I mean, who who would you call a dud in this game? Quincy Anunua. Because he didn't have any catches, but then you find out during the broadcast that the announcers say that they noticed Inunua had a his hand was wrapped in a, I think they said it was a soft cast or some, something along those lines. He's playing with a bad hand. So yeah, he had a couple drops. He also may have had had himself a, a long touchdown pass, if not for the fact that Chris Harris grabbed the back of Inunua's jersey as he was running away from him into the end zone, non-call by the officials. Which makes Darnold's day that much more impressive, really, because there was the other non-call on, on Jermaine Curse in the end zone. That one wasn't as obvious. You could make the case it wasn't a catchable ball. However, it's tough to say if a ball was catchable, but is is hanging off of you, stopping you from moving forward and and trying to jump up and go get it. So that's two more balls, actually. If you think about it, there were no flags on those plays, so we didn't include that in the, the Darnold numbers. So let's see. So now you got three drops, two incompletions on non-calls on blatant pass interference plays, and four balls batted up the line. So that's nine balls accounted for that didn't get to their target for one reason or another. That was not about accuracy. So really, even better than a uh, better than it looked. 
much better than it looked in the box score. But there was there was just so much good in this game. It and how what's with the Jekyll and Hyde? What's with how is it you're two and three, and if you take the two wins, you've outscored your opponent, you know, eighty eight to thirty or whatever it is. I tweeted it out yesterday. How is that? Not even close. You are blowing people's doors off when you're on, but then you're finding ways to lose to the Browns, the Dolphins. No show against the Jaguars on defense. Give up 500 yards to Blake Bortles. And this is this is where an interesting argument arises in, in discussing this and in, in talking about how dominant the Jets looked. Because let's face it, they did. And I see people saying, you know, or I hear people saying, where are the Todd Bowles haters now? Look at this game plan. Look how great this was. This was amazing. How can you say that he's not a good coach? Well, I look at the flip side of that and say, if the team has this much talent, that they can go out and beat a team with one of the best front sevens in the NFL and completely dominate them, and you can win an opener on the road against the Lions by, you know, 20, 30 points, why isn't this team winning more often? Why are you two and three? We've said it before. They gave they gave that Miami game away. They gave that Cleveland game away. You can make a very good argument for the fact that this team could be four and one right now. If they had their heads on straight and they didn't keep giving up the same play over and over and over and over again against Jacksonville, who knows how that game turns out. But let's face it, they they got killed in that game, so fine. <clears throat> That's a loss. You weren't you, you got killed. But Miami and Cleveland, those close games, those 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 close decisions. This team could be four and one. So so if you're gonna tell me Todd Bowles his job should be safe because they just had this great blowout win, then I'm gonna say clearly he has the talent. Clearly. Everyone who's been telling me that he's got nothing to work with. Mike McCagney gave him a terrible roster. He's got no O-line. He's got no weapons. He's got a terrible secondary. But to me, looks like he's got some pretty good players. They're just not playing consistently. So who does that fall on? Is that on the coach for not having them prepared? Or is it on the players for not putting in the work? I'm not saying they aren't because I'm not there. I don't know. But I have a hard time watching a game like yesterday and watching a game like Detroit at those games and saying, ah, this team just doesn't have enough talent. team doesn't have any talent. Because clearly they do. And we're going to talk about some of that right now. We're going to go over, uh, we did some game balls earlier. I'm going to recap that for those of you who didn't have a chance to check it out. And it was tough, man. Everybody give out 50 game balls for yesterday. Across the board, guys making plays. It was Trenton Cannon on special teams. Had that near fumble. That was scary as hell, wasn't it? That really looked, boy, that did worry me. I'm not going to lie to you. But uh, filling up for Jerome Peak as a gunner. Made a great play on specials. Just up and down the roster, guys, doing things. So let, let, let's go over some of the game balls, and then we're, we'll go on to some more guys who we're not even going to mention here, but who had really good games. So we're going to start with the O-line, and you have to start with the O-line. As I said earlier, Sam Darnold sacked one time this defensive front. Unbelievable. Just absolutely unbelievable. Don't care what you say. You didn't expect that. Nobody expected that. 219 for Crowell, 99 for Powell. One sack against Arnold. A dominant game. The only guy who stood out making some mistakes was Spencer Long. Had some bad snaps. Uh, hasn't had the, the best stretch. He had a nice couple games to start the season. It's been a little bit rough since then. <clears throat> Excuse me, a little bit rough since then. 
But uh, all in all, offensive line did a phenomenal job. Kelvin Beecham, who we're going to have on in a while, did it. Whether it was Von Miller yesterday or Miles Garrett a couple weeks ago, I know he got beat once or twice against Jacksonville, but games against some of the best in the business. But yeah, people just keep saying, "Oh, this offensive line is no good. This offensive line is no good." And I'm, I'm going to mention a PFF stat here, but I'm, it's going to be with a caveat because I've said many times in the past the PFF, you know, grain of salt, grain of salt. And now this more than ever because PFF confused the hell out of me today. I went and looked at their numbers today, expecting to see an off the charts grade for the Jets pass blocking. Given the fact that, as I mentioned, they kept Donald clean and upright all day. And uh, PFF, somehow, however they come up with their scores, the Jets earned their worst offensive, their worst pass blocking grade of the season per PFF. I think it was 56. But then the Miami game, where they got it, they got beat up pretty good on that O line. That game, they had them as a 77 for pass blocking. So 20 points higher in a game where they played nowhere near as well. So it's a little bit confusing. I don't know what, I don't know how they come up with this stuff. So that's why we always say grain of salt with PFF. But uh, so with that in mind, took a look at the, uh, the offensive lineman earlier today, pass blocking grades only on the season, and looked at players, filtered it by players who have played 80% of their team snaps. Just wanted to look at starters. Uh, Kelvin Beecham, ninth out of 22. Of course, there are more than 22 starting left tackles, but you figure between guys getting injured, benched, whatever the case may be, apparently 10 teams who's, you know, they don't have a tackle who hit the 80% threshold. So only 22 tackles came up, but Kelvin Beecham, ninth out of 22. That's not bad. Both the guards, Brian Winters was 13, and James Carpenter was 15, 15th. And that was out of 60-something, if I'm not mistaken. Spencer Long was 13 out of 13 for centers. Dead last, not good at all. And Brandon Shell had a low number. I don't have it in front of me. Should I uh, should have wrote those down. Mainly I was wanting to speak about Calvin Beach. But the, the good thing was that even though Brandon Shell had a, a pretty low ranking, it was pretty bad. Top head. I'm going to find it. He was uh, eight out of two. But his score, his 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 grade, even though it ranked him 18th, was 66 and change, so average. So poor ranking, but an average performance. So yeah, nine out of 22 for Beecham, 15 out of 26 for Carp. Long was ranked 13th out of 13. Brian Winters ranked 13 out of 26. Brandon Gell 18th out of 22. And this is uh that's pass blocking grades only, folks. Not not total grade. So a lot of a lot of middle of the pack grades there. Which, you know, beating a dead horse, but that's been uh that's been my expectation all all off season. And I feel like it's been there. So let's tip our caps to the way they played yesterday though, because there is absolutely no denying that that offensive line was fantastic. So good on them. Isaiah Crowell, we talked about him. He had runs of 77 yards, 59 yards. He had another 30, 30 some yarder. Forget exactly, but ended up ended up with 219 yards. New franchise record, including the 77 yard touchdown. Just a great job by him. Um, and hey, you catch that touchdown celebration. It was nothing. He scored, tossed the ball in the air, and that was it. So he's wiping the slate clean, so to speak. Good job by Crowell. Good approach. And uh, just unbelievable game. And the same goes for Leonard Williams. How nice would it be if Leonard Williams starts showing up and playing the way we know Leonard Williams is capable of playing? He had himself a couple sacks. He was in the backfield consistently. He was giving he was giving Denver fits all day long. 
he looked like the number six overall pick in a draft. He looked like the guy you thought you were getting when you took him in the draft. And that's two weeks in a row now for him with a sack. So good job by him. Sam Darnold. We talked about him. Nice day. Like we said, 10 out of 22. But between drops, batted balls, non-calls, he had himself a really good day. I mean, you think about it. That that that's that, that's where I was a little I was a little bit surprised because I'm watching this game unfold. I'm not seeing a lot of balls hit the dirt or wild throws. The stat line, and I think, how the hell is he ten for twenty two? Doesn't feel like he threw twelve balls off target, or even seven balls off target. But that's because you're watching the game a little more emotionally invested. You take a step back after the game, rewatch it this morning, and then you remember the drops, the bats. It's like, okay, well that that makes sense now. You know, when he was able to get the ball off, he was he was a lot more accurate than the numbers would indicate. And his big target on the day, Robbie Anderson. He's got to get a game ball. 76-yard touchdown catch, 35-yard touchdown catch. Something that this team had to have. Not just in terms of points, but to see that these guys are building chemistry. And to see that these guys are putting themselves in a position to, to start making plays and earn the respect of opposing defenses, forcing them to back off a little bit. That's a big, that's a big development. We've been waiting for it. Even even if you look at Robbie's 41-yard touchdown to start the season or in the season opener in Detroit, it was nice. wasn't a terrible throw, but that was a throw that if the DB was positioned better, could have batted that away or even intercepted it. Robbie had to kind of turn, reach over the defender, and pull that ball in. Those passes yesterday, Sam Darnold dropped them right in his fingertips, just in stride, right down the sideline. The one with with the DB half step behind him, thing of beauty, left side of the end zone, and just dropped it right in there. The Jets really had a nice day against a, a really good defense, really good secondary, and as we said, a, you know, a front seven that uh, that historically, well, I shouldn't, I say historically, Bradley Chubb, of course, is is uh, the new kid on the block, but. Early on, he's looked very impressive. Von Miller's looked very impressive from the day he came in the league. So you got Miller, Chubb, and even with Shane Ray rotating in, you have some guys who can wreak some havoc. But the Jets were able to do enough to to allow Robbie Anderson to have a big day, giving Darnold the time he needed to make his throws. And some of those balls came out quick, too. It's not like those were seven-step drops. But still a nice job to torch that secondary. And speaking of secondaries, the Jets secondary yesterday, again, fantastic. Morris Claiborne, what a day he had. I counted four batted passes. One of them on the, the diving play in the in the end zone. That really that that play, I tweeted it out earlier. Frankie Luvu is gonna be kicking himself for that. He's gonna be Frankie Luvu might lose some sleep on that play. Um, he was able to come through, follow follow Leo toward Case Keenum, had a clear path to him, dove at his legs, and just didn't wrap up quick enough. Keenum basically bounces off of Frankie Louvu's shoulder, and he's able to roll to his left, and then he tries to complete the pass in the end zone, and that's when Morris Claiborne dives across the middle and bats it down. Easily, easily Morris Claiborne's best game as a Jet. I don't I don't care what anybody says. That was a fantastic performance by him. And Marcus May. Marcus May tried to this is the stuff, you know. <laughs> what the odds? What are the odds that a guy gets himself an interception to end the game and then runs it back a hundred and four yards? Was it 103? 103 yards. Gets tackled at Denver's one-yard line. And it goes down as the longest play in NFL history that was not a touchdown. I guess there's, there's, there's your same old Jets stat of the day for you, right? 
that you can laugh about it because they won the game. But for this guy to pick this ball off, and you had a feel for him. Because, man, it, last play of the game, I'm sure he was worn down. He caught plenty of flack from his teammates. I saw Jamal Adams was giving him a really hard time. But still just a really stellar game for Marcus May. Eight tackles. He had the interception to close it. He had a half a sack. Um, really, really nice game, especially his second game back. Great job by him. But getting back to the offensive line now, because it looks like, if I'm not mistaken, I believe we do have Kelvin Beecham on the line now joining us uh, following this this uh, huge victory for the Jets. Kelvin, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, just been going over uh, – a few aspects from yesterday's game. Congratulations on the win. It was uh, something that, that uh, the the fans and the players, I'm sure you guys were uh, hungry to get off the schneid, as they say, uh, one and three start, and you come out against one of the one of the more respected front sevens in the NFL. And you guys, I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. I said this at the opening. Um, I've been a, a big supporter of this O-line for a few months now, and I've taken some heat from fans who feel differently. But I no nobody saw that coming. You guys absolutely dominated those guys, and uh, fr- from your perspective, um, you know how, how do you guys build on this? Because one of the criticisms has been, of course, that you, you know you guys have had a hard time stringing wins together, and to go out and blow a team out like this, how do you avoid a letdown next week against Indianapolis? You know the thing is, we got to work even harder in practice. We got to prepare even harder during the week. Uh, we got to hold each other even more accountable. We got to spend more time with one another uh, off the field uh, to build that camaraderie and that chemistry. And we got to go out and execute uh, this week. Uh, last week we were able to get to one and zero. This week we have an opportunity to get to one and zero again. Um, the thing is, is as a as a young team, we got to find a way to mature. We got to find a way to grow up, and we have that opportunity just coming up Sunday. And now, so Indy is up next. So. You know, but you've just come off of facing, you know, Von Miller yesterday. Of course, a, a, a tough defense in Jacksonville the week before. And then a, a defense in Cleveland now that I think people are just starting to realize how good they are, that that defense is for real. Um, and and in terms of your job, you know, you're the guy, you're, you're drawing Miles Garrett and doing a really nice job against him. I know Cleveland, he had a couple sacks, but those were kind of stunts up the middle. Um I know that that wasn't one-on-one against you. Um, what, what's it like being the guy who every week, you know, you're responsible for, for Sam Darnold's blind side, and you know that you're always going to get the other team's best pass rusher? You know, that's just, uh, it's just the nature, nature of the beast, honestly. Um, you know, we, uh, they pay me a, a nice salary to make sure that my, that my quarterback is kept clean. Uh, Got to continue to, to do that. Um, Still searching for that that super clean game where there's no pressures, there's no hurries, there's no sacks, there's no uh, you know, no pressure uh, that would you know affect Sam at all. You know I know that's reaching for the sky, but it's nothing wrong with reaching for perfection. So that's the standard. That's what we're trying to get to. We still have a ways to go, but at the same time, this is a National Football League. You know, you're gonna get the best, uh, and I can I say it all the time. You get one of the 32 best athletes on the planet every Sunday, uh, because usually a defensive end is one of the best athletes on the planet. Big, move, um, extremely explosive, extremely powerful, um, but at the same time can run like a gazelle. So I know that every week, week in, week out, that I have the, the, my opponent's best rusher uh, that I'm facing, and my job is to make sure that he's uh, he's nullified. And now you, you talk about keeping Sam upright. Of course, that's going to and, you know, it's the case with any team you want to protect your quarterback, but it's just that much more under the microscope when you're talking about, you know, the third overall pick, 21-year-old kid who's got to grow. Now, what what is your impression of Sam been up to this point in terms of, you know, the one thing that stands out or one of the many things that stands out, but for his age, he comes across as a guy who really is sort of has his head on straight, priority straight, level-headed kid. Um, is that the vibe you get from him in the locker room? Every day. You know, he's been the same guy since day one. Um, have a lot of respect for how he approaches the game, how he prepares, how he comes in and out of the huddle, um, and appreciate it. So 
really excited for what he's doing. Um, I'm excited to see him continue to grow. Uh, but this is the same guy that, 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 that came in a couple of months ago. Same demeanor, same type of poise, uh, same type of uh, rigor, and same type of intensity. Um, it's the same guy, and you respect that consistency from your quarterback. Yeah, it was really nice to see him uh, to see him make some throws yesterday. And you talked about wanting to, uh, you know, striving for that perfect game. And really, I mean, heck of a game. One sack and, and not a lot of pressure on, on 22 dropbacks. So you guys really, I mean, to me, that was that was your guys' best performance of the year. Um, you know, Detroit was good, but but that was, I think, in terms of who you guys were facing to shut them down the way you did. But we, of course, we saw these these breakout performances from from Isaiah Crowell and Robbie Anderson. Even Bilal Powell had 99 yards on 20 carries. I mean, you guys have some playmakers. A lot, you know, a lot of people don't seem to realize that. Uh, for some reason, you know, it, it seems like a lot of the pundits forgot that Quincy Newman was on the roster and forgot what Robbie Anderson was capable of. Um, how good can this offense be if you guys are firing on all cylinders consistently? You know, at the end of the day, we just got to execute. And if we're able to do that, then, you know, we, we, we have some things uh, in order. Um, but, you know, we don't have time to, to get into what naysayers have to say or what bandwagon fans have to say. You know, what we care about is the people in that locker room, the guys in that locker room who put – uh, you know, put it on the line every single day, sacrifice time with their families, time with their kids, uh, to, to be in a locker room with number dudes all day. Um, and, you know, we do it for one another. We do it, you know, yes, we get paid, you know, a lot of money, but at the same time, a lot of guys in that in that room have a lot of pride. Um, you know, we want to be a better team. We want to be a team that affected among the National Football League. And um, that's something that we're working on every single day is to be better as a team, uh, be respected among our peers, um, and find a way to execute game in and game out. And now you mentioned uh, taking care of each other, but that was one of the reasons we were having you on because you've done such a great job since your arrival um, of taking care of not only the, the community where you're living and playing, but the communities you've passed through throughout your career and where you're from. Um, you, you have something going on right now with World Food Day uh, yep. where you're going to be matching funds that are raised in New York where you're playing now in Pittsburgh, where you started your career, Jacksonville, where you were before that. And then in North and central Texas, as a Texas guy um, to me, that that's fantastic. I mean, it, you know, giving putting together stuff like this is great, no matter how you do it, but to see that you've kind of kept, you know, allowed yourself to remain a part of all these communities that you've moved on from, but still trying to help those communities. But uh, give, give us some ideas that, you know, people can go to, I know you can go to KelvinBeacham.com to donate some money yep. for world food day. Yep. Um, yep. Well, I, well, well. I have my word. I'll be logging on once we're done with this to make a donation, but uh, go ahead and go ahead and let us know what that's all about. Perfect. So wanted to do something like you said, where I was able to touch every community that I've come in contact with, um, even since my college days and even my childhood days. Um, I wanted to donate $5,000 to each one of those food banks. And if those communities raise $5,000 in their particular communities, I would match uh, that $5,000 and actually have some support from some teammates today uh, here in New York, uh, Curtis and Steve McClendon and uh, Spencer Long, who are coming alongside and supporting, which I'm excited about. And I'm going to have a couple other players from my team um, support. You know, I've reached out to to, you know, some players and, and teammates, former teammates that I played with in Pittsburgh and Jacksonville to get their support as well. Uh, but wanted to do something where I was just able to impact the community um, and, and also get people to, to, to bring awareness to, to the facts that you know, there are a number of people in, in each one of those communities that, that are dealing with hunger. Um, and, and they call it food insecurity now where, where people don't know where the next meal is coming from. And if you donate a dollar here in New York, you know, that'll get you That'll get 10 meals. You know, if you donate a dollar in Pittsburgh, that'll get you 12 meals. So knowing the impact of a dollar and how that can impact so many people, so many lives, um, it's a blessing. Uh, but at the same time, knowing, knowing that, you know, there's still a long ways for us to go. There's still uh, way too many people. I think kids, I think it's like 12 million, 12 million plus kids in, in America don't know where their next meal is coming from. Um, and that's something that I want to be a part of the solution, not just talking about it. And, I, and that's great. And I mentioned at the top of the show the fact that when when One Jets Drive, the, the web series leading up to the season, had the episode where you and your some of your charitable efforts were were put under the microscope for fans to learn about. Um, the reaction from Jets fans was fantastic. I know me personally, uh, looking at how fans reacted on, on JetNation.com, 
everybody was just really impressed. And a lot of people that kind of said, you know, here's a guy who gets it, you know, really good player, even better person, class act. Um, so, so tip of the cap to you for that one. But th- there's another, another venture you're involved in. I was wanting to mention the, uh, donating money to help offset living expenses for Holbert and school students um, uh, in yeah. San Francisco and, and soon to be uh, soon to be Connecticut. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. Um, so Holbert's and school is, is out of San Francisco. Um, they've done a phenomenal job of, of making sure that, you know, with the tech tech boom that's now happening, there's a, a lack of, of software engineers and software engineers from diverse backgrounds. And what I love about Holberton is that they've, uh, produced a curriculum where you know you don't have to pay anything up front. Um, it's a different type of curriculum than the, the traditional college system where you go to college, take out a loan, and, or, and try to get to a school. What they do is you don't have to pay any upfront cost. You go and get um, your software engineering degree um, in, in six to eight, six to nine months. Be able to go and get a, a high-paying job in, in some of these high-performing tech job uh, tech careers, and then you pay 17% of your salary back after you've gotten your job. So it's kind of reversing the model where, um, you know, you not have to pay everything up front and then try to pay everything back after you, you know, already in debt, but you be able to go and go get a degree um, and not have to go into debt. So I really love what they're able to do. And, you know, one of the things when I went out to San Francisco and talked with the founder, um, one of the things he mentioned was like, Kelvin, you know, we're struggling with, you know, people who come out to San Francisco or come, you know, now Connecticut, um, and they're doing great in school, but they don't have the funds to actually live off them because of the cost of living, you know. And I was like, you know, we found a way to get involved and, and, and did my research. And you know, one of the ways in which well, which I got involved was to donate to you know living expenses to be able to help, especially people of color, you know, black and brown individuals that are going along this path to be able to take part um, in one of these innovative programs and, and find a way to get into these high paying uh, high paying tech jobs. I've been a huge proponent of STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And this is one of those opportunities where, you know, software engineering is, is one of those facets of STEAM um, that allows, you know, our young people, especially those of, of minority descent, uh, to be able to gain access to this tech boom that's happening right now. That's, I mean, that's all fantastic stuff. I know for me personally, I, I read up on some of the, the bios that, that were sent out to us and just really great work trying to get a good causes so again tip of the cap to you kelvin thank you so much for joining us giving us some of your time on jet nation radio and uh yeah just go ahead and roll up 400 yards a game on the ground for the next couple months and and we'll be fine (laughs) but that would be awesome but you know how the nfl is man it's not too often that you're able to run for for things like that but when you do you you thank god for it and you move on um and, and try to do it again so we'll see how it goes yeah absolutely enjoy it man you you guys great job and uh Best of luck moving forward, Calvin. Thanks for, thanks for joining yes, us. Sir. Yes, sir. Anytime. Take care. Take care. All right. All right. So that was Calvin Beecham, New York Jets starting left tackle. And uh, that's some good stuff. You know, we, we don't do a lot of that stuff on this show because I, we get that people want to be, you know, they, they, they come here to, to listen to football talk. You know, I mean, there's everywhere you turn nowadays, you, you can't go into a store and buy something without being asked to give some money to charity on your way out the door. Uh, but stuff like this, seeing a Jets player getting involved, you know, World Food Day, putting himself in a position where – and that, that's what jumped out at me. I think that's fantastic. You know, it's one thing to give to the community you're in. I mean, giving, period, is, is a great thing. But if you're doing it and you're, you're making sure to look back at everywhere you've, you've, come, you've come through and trying to, trying to help people in every community you were once a part of, whether it was for a year – which was the case in Jacksonville um, or a few years in Pittsburgh, just a great, great move by Kelvin class move. Um, again, if you want to, if you want to give, go to Kelvin Beecham.com K E L V I N B E A C H U M Kelvin Beecham.com donate some money. Like I said, I'm going to donate a few bucks as soon as, uh, as soon as we wrap up the show here and just a uh, g- great job by him on the field and off. Like I said, he, un- Underrated guy, you know. I, I've said a million times that he's a he's a guy that people seem to be in a big rush to get him out the door. Now, if, if, yeah, if you can replace him with a franchise left tackle next year, I get it. I it wouldn't be opposed to that. But he's a guy that can give you a couple of years, you know. And it, it's not just 
not only with with Kelvin Beecham on this O line, but I feel like this goes back to you know the people who predicted such terrible things for this offensive line this season. Even when they go out and perform well, somebody will dig up the the one or two plays where somebody got beat badly, and they'll post that on Twitter. Oh, look how bad this line is. Beecham got beat. He got beat against Jacksonville. Got on the, on the ball that Sam Donald tried to throw away that Chris Herndon caught running toward the right sideline. And somebody tweeted that. Oh, my God. Look look what Sam Darnold has to deal with. Oh, my God. You would think it was happening every play. You know, guys get pressures. Guys get sacks. But good on-field stuff from Kelvin yesterday and uh, some great off-field stuff from him today. So go to Kelvin, com to donate. And we thank Kelvin for joining us. And moving on, we were talking about game balls. Morris Claiborne, of course, who we talked about, four passes broken up. Could have had a couple picks, but just just a <clears throat> he had the type of game. He had the type of game where you look at it and you think, for what they're getting from Tremaine Johnson, and as much as they paid him, I mean Morris Claiborne, given the injury history, he's not a guy you can count on. He's not he's not a prototype. He's not a, a number one. It's just uh, it's just frustrating, I guess, to see him outplay the number one guy by a significant margin, which is exactly what happened yesterday. Uh, of course, Jermaine Johnson was out with a quadriceps injury, and you have to wonder, you know, that that's one thing that I guess that one thing you can cling to and hope is the case with Jermaine Johnson is that he's left a few games this year with with you know suspected concussions, a um, couple injuries, a couple times he had to come off the field. And you're like, all right, maybe that's where he's lacking. Maybe he's getting dinged up, and that's why he's looking as slow as he does. Because he does. He looks slow out there. And he's here for at least the next couple of years, the way his contract is structured. And he's here at big money. So to see him go out there and sort of get outperformed, um, not, not not the best thing. One of the few downsides to uh, to yesterday's win is looking at it and realizing they were better without him than they were with him. And uh, final game ball, we're going to go Andre Roberts, who had another big return, a 51-yarder. He's among the NFL's leaders right now. He had a big, big day in the opener, really uh, did a great job against Detroit, had the big touchdown, and he's been really quiet since then. But then all of a sudden, you know, if, if you look at how how it was all unfolding and why his numbers were down, I mean, the number of times the Jets were, the ball was being punted inside the 10, inside the 5. I mean, punters, ridiculous, just dropping these perfect punts where really there wasn't a lot of opportunity for a big return. So we had himself a nice day. And uh, another game ball for him, but moving on from that, from from whether we, we... you want to call it game ball, stud, dud, whatever, whatever version, or whatever, whatever title you want to throw on it. There were some really good players yesterday on the field. There were some guys that did a really nice job. Um, The Jets were expected to. Uh, Jets were expected to have Richard Robinson come back from his five four game suspension, five game suspension, and the conventional wisdom was that Justin Burris was going to be the guy who was going to be let go, and. It would appear that's not that's not the case. The Jets have held on to Justin Burris, but I think the reason for that is because Buster Screen has been diagnosed with another concussion. That's his fourth since joining the team, and I think the Jets looked at that and said, "Buster's got a concussion. Tremaine Johnson's got a bad quad, and." We can't afford to we can't afford to let Justin Burris go. So JJ Wilcox, 
becomes the uh, the odd man out, and it's unfortunate because he'd been he'd been playing well. He had been playing well. I said he was an upgrade over Rontez Miles when he was acquired. I think we've seen that this season that he has been. I don't think it's really been close. And I think that the uh, I think I think the Jets front office I think their hand was forced. I don't think they wanted to let him go, but once Buster had a fourth concussion in four years, they was uh they had to do what was right and make sure they didn't get even thinner at corner. Surprised Derek Jones wasn't active the other day. That was a little bit surprising. Not sure why that was the case. But uh it was and it's you know one of those things where it doesn't make a lot of sense because the guys played so well. Well he played well in the preseason. In training camp, but let's see. Let's see what this guy can do in a live game. The coaching staff, obviously, not at that point yet, where they feel like that that should be the case. But uh, I don't see why you wouldn't give him some run, or at least have him active in the event you get it. You get an injury. You know, Buster Screen went down. Jermaine Johnson was already out, so then you were a little bit thin. Perry Nickerson. Perry Nickerson came in. He got beat on a couple plays early on. Worrisome. But he really seemed to level off after that. You didn't really see you didn't really see him get beat after that. Uh, at least I didn't. And the couple times I watched the game, I can go back. You know, sometimes I'm jotting down notes. Maybe look away. Maybe he gives up a play. But I didn't really see Perry Nickerson get beat. The pass rushers. Let's you know. Let, let's talk a little bit about some of these guys. Just went over this, but I think if I'm not mistaken, looked at our studio here, and I think our mic went offline. But. Uh, going to touch base on a couple guys who did a good job of putting pressure on the quarterback and just guys who played well overall. But let, let's start with Jeremiah Adeochu. He did a fantastic job. He had a sack, a strip sack. He had another play where he forced a, a hole from Garrett Bowles. It was a play that, you know, whether or not he would have gotten there for a sack if the ball wasn't, the ball came out pretty quickly, but uh, didn't come out quickly enough for Garrett Bowles. He felt like he had to hold Adeochu to stop him from getting to Case Keenum. So a nice job by him. He had uh, played a a season-high 33 snaps. Jordan Jenkins is the guy who lost some snaps, but Jenkins, he registered a half sack. Almost had one last week. Blake Bortles escaped his grasp, but he had one the previous week against Cleveland and the previous week against Miami. So that's four weeks in a row he's gotten his hands on the quarterback. So good job by him. By Jordan Jenkins, he's 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 lined up for a career year in terms of sacks. Brandon Copeland, he was all right. He doesn't, he, you know, he, he gets the occasional pressure. But I would say if I had to choose between him and Adoju, Adoju's the guy I'm keeping because he's got the more prototypical pass rush skill set. So we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens as the season goes on and how these how these reps get broken up. But I think, you know, they, they got some, some good production out of their linebackers yesterday. Louvu almost had a sack. Unfortunately, he uh, Case Keenum bounced off of him. As we mentioned earlier on the play with Morris Claiborne. And Terrell Pryor, well, we mentioned his catch earlier. One thing, one of the more surprising things, and I, I noticed it a couple times, and uh, during the during the live broadcast and then when I rewatched it, Jordan Leggett, you know, I'm not saying he's been a fantastic run blocker, but he's been a much better run blocker than I expected. It hasn't been so great. They, 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 he hasn't been asked to do it very much. And I think the Jets realized that that's not, that's not a position often. So not really, uh, not, not a guy who's going to do a whole lot of that. But as a run blocker, he was pretty good. I mean, everybody was really, let's be honest. That's how they were able to do what they did yesterday. But uh, uh, just a, a nice, you know, because that was one of the things I felt, when, you know, when he was drafted, he wasn't he wasn't my favorite pick in that class. I was a little bit worried about his, his ability to block. It was primarily pass blocking. But I didn't know if he'd be a, a liability as a run blocker as well. And so far, he's looked like he can handle himself a little bit. So you got a guy like Chris Herndon, And the Jets are using a lot of two and three tight end sets, and it's it's working out well because those guys can block. Um, again, better than advertised. 
better than I expected for sure. So, I mean, all around, the team effort yesterday was absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely, you know, offense, defense, special teams. They got to the quarterback. They, you know, they they ran the ball extremely well, threw the ball well, just up and down. You can't really fault them for anything. Like I said, the one the one downside might be Quincy Inunua, um having that drop or having a couple of drops. But then again, finding out he was he was playing injured. And uh, not sure if this came over before the mic cut out about the Richard Robinson thing. Richard Robinson has been added to the active roster. J.J. Wilcox is no longer active. Surprise move there. And next up is the Indianapolis Colts. The Jets are one-and-a-half-point favorite. They will be facing Andrew Luck, who looks pretty damn good. Let's be honest. Um, he's He's been the player he was before. You know, maybe maybe a notch or two below that, but still been a really good player. But some guys to keep an eye on in this game. Niam Hines. Well, I see the first guy you're mentioning. Probably a little bit of bias. But, uh, man, that guy was one of my favorite players in the draft coming out. I feel like he's a guy who can do a lot of things. He can beat you out of the backfield. He can beat you as a receiver. Great, great speed. Can't remember the exact number, but I believe he ran one of the fastest 40s at the Combine, if not the fastest 40. So he's a guy who could pose some some problems for a defense. Not sure what's going to happen with Marlon Mack, if he's even active. Uh, Obviously doing the show a little early this week, so not much news on injuries. But uh, Marlon Mack's a guy, he's dangerous. The way he can move and avoid tacklers, he's a, he's a really good player. So that's he's, he's another one to keep an eye on out of the backfield if he is active. Um, excited to see Quentin Nelson just because of all the hype behind him. Want to see how he matches up with guys like Leonard Williams, Steve McClendon, Henry Anderson. Henry Anderson's another guy who had a really nice game yesterday, by the way. Um, one of Leo Sachs, man, Anderson got there first and just let him slip away. Didn't wrap him up, finish the deal. But uh, another good game for him. So it'll be a little homecoming for him. Back to Indianapolis where he was drafted. Traded to the Jets this offseason. So, so, and, you know, another guy who, not sure how he's playing this year. I know he was playing well last year before he got hurt. But Malik Hooker, the the big safety out of Ohio State. Long, tall, rangy safety. Who I recall saying... If not for the injury concerns, he would he was a guy I would have preferred over Jamal Adams when the Jets were picking sixth a couple of years ago. Lee Cooker's just got ridiculous range, able to get to the get the balls that most guys can't get to. So Sam Donald better be on the lookout for that. The Colts have some guys who can who can just flat out play. Offense and defense. Darius Leonard has been a monster for them. Um, he's got he's got about a million tackles already. He's having a phenomenal season. And in terms of in terms of coverage, again that deep back end, Malik Hooker, really good player. Uh Anthony Walker at linebacker, another good one. Now they they haven't really they the Colts haven't really had a chance to play or no, sorry, he has played more than I thought. Oh, this one hurts. They Colts grabbed a couple guys. I forgot they drafted Kamoko Toure. Now, if you listen to us leading up to the draft, he was another favorite of mine. Uh, had the Jets getting him in the middle rounds. He's got three sacks already. So he's he's doing a nice job for them. So they have some guys that can get to the quarterback. Darius Leonard, Kamiko Toure combined for seven sacks. A couple of young guys, a couple of young linebackers. Not gonna be uh not gonna be an easy day. But, hey, listen, if the Jets' offensive line comes out and plays the way they did this Sunday, then uh, they'll be in pretty good shape. But there are some playmakers on this Colts team. But, I mean, let's, for whatever reason, and I know all 22 out yet, haven't had a chance to watch any Colts stuff because of the fact that we're ready. But they are 1-4, and four, so they, they have some good players. But it's not all going as planned at the moment. Jets are favored to win this game. And I'll say that with having done very little homework, admittedly done very little homework, I'm going to make my pick for this week. I'm going to say the Jets win again. 
at home, uh, string together a couple. I think it's another another nice day for Sam Darnold. Going to have a hard time throwing those deep balls with uh, Malik Hooker back there. But I think they will test the Colts secondary. So let's say uh, let's say 27-17 Jets. I think the defense is, and and one of the interesting things is going to be one of the interesting things to see is going to be Rashard Robinson and see how he comes out and plays. But uh, should be a good one. Hopefully, we don't see as many visiting jerseys as we saw this week with the Broncos. Keep your tickets, Jets fans. Go out and support the team. Maybe novel idea. I know it's frustrating that they're up and down, but. You're in the area. You got your tickets. Go support the team. In what will be hopefully a second win, get them to 500. They'll be at 500 heading into the Minnesota game, and uh, with a chance to to get over 500 against Kirk Cousins, who thankfully <laughs> snubbed the Jets this offseason, didn't take their money. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see if the Jets can string together consecutive wins. And uh, until next week, folks, have a great night and thanks for tuning in. Take care.